Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you uh, for the gift of music. We thank you for something to sing about. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it satisfies the deepest longings of our souls as your people. Lord, we pray that you guide us now as we open your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning in the early worship gathering, we had the privilege of observing three baptisms, three outward expressions of a spiritual reality that has taken taken place in the lives of uh, some believers, three individuals who have repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation and have expressed that before the church uh, through believers' baptism. Now, in baptism... In the immersion into the waters, there is nothing in and of that particular act that saves us. Nothing in and of that act itself that makes us right with God. Rather, Jesus saves us on the cross by paying the price for our sin, the penalty of our sin, taking on what we deserve. And baptism is simply an outward expression of something that has already taken place, identifying ourselves with Christ. Saying that we have received this gift of salvation by the grace of God. And Ephesians chapter 2, great chapter of the Bible. There Paul writes about the love of God, the great love of God. He says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, dead in sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And then he goes on to write in verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, our salvation before God, our forgiveness in the eyes of God, our reconciliation with our maker through Christ is not something that any of us can boast about. It's not Something that any of us can say, look at me and what I have done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've earned. Simply something that we receive in faith. A gracious gift of God. Scripture says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that for those that receive that gift in faith, a great transaction takes place. God says... For he who had no sin, Jesus, the only one who has ever lived with no sin, for he who had no sin has become sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become his righteousness. So for those that know Christ, those that have repented of their sin before an almighty, perfect, holy God whose standard is perfection, and turned to Jesus as Savior, as Lord, and given their lives to him, Jesus has taken on their sin, our sin, every believer in Jesus' sin, and in exchange has given us his righteousness, his status before Almighty God. Righteousness, right standing before God. And this is not something that is only or has only taken place since Christ came and since Christ conquered, in other words, since uh, Jesus' crucifixion and 
all those that have come to Christ since that time. This is something that took place even before the coming of Christ as individuals believed in God and the promises of God and anticipated the fulfillment of the promises of God. And this is why in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, the chapter that we'll be looking at together in just a moment, we read that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram didn't know exactly what would come about in the days ahead. In the days ahead, he simply knew that God had called him and that God had a plan, a plan that ultimately would provide for the sins of all people. And Abram believed God. He exercised faith in God. And as a result, Scripture says that he was declared righteous before God. And so, since the Bible talks so much about the importance, the necessity of faith and trust in God, a question that we ought to ask as people who are called to exercise faith in God, is can God be trusted? Can God really be trusted? That's the question that we're going to allow to be our guide as we look at Genesis chapter 15 together. This is a question that Abram had to wrestle with. So let's look at it together in Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. God's word reads this way. After this... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. In verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, speaking of Eliezer, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to them, said to him, so shall your offspring be. As we pause right there and we think about these opening verses of Genesis chapter 15, right away they begin with the words, after this. After this, after what? Well, remember that in the previous chapter, we saw that Abram had defeated the pagan coalition of kings. These foreign invaders, King Kay and all his allies, his troops, had come in and raided the land. They'd captured Lot and taken him captive as Abram's nephew. And Abram, led by the Lord and his faith in the Lord, chased these invaders some 120 miles northward and at night divided up and conquered them with his troops and took Lot back and was given all of this loot and these people that he had captured in battle. In chapter 14, Abram doesn't take those things. At the end of the chapter, he says, I I don't want any of this. I'm not going to take any of this because I don't want anyone to say, hey, I made Abram rich. Rather, he expressed total and complete trust in God. Complete trust in God to fulfill his own promises to Abram in his own timing waiting on a miracle from the Lord. And now, in the opening verses of chapter 15, it's almost as if Abram has begun to doubt whether or not he made the right decision. Goes to the Lord and says, Lord, I'm waiting. You promised a son. You promised some land for my descendants. And I, I don't have it. Imagine for a moment what he must have been thinking. Lord, 
here I am. I'm, I'm aging. Normal period between you know, man and woman's marriage in which they're most biologically conducive to having children. It's quickly going away. And here I am, no child. You promised me a child. Did I miss something? I'm waiting on you, Lord. Ever been in a circumstance like that? You ever felt certain that God had led you to something or called you to something or directed you in a certain direction and you acted on that and then all of a sudden... You began to wonder, did I mishear God? Did I miss something along the way? And that's when the Lord says to Abram, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Take comfort in me. I know what I'm doing. We learn here in God's word that God protects and provides as his people wait for his supernatural blessing. God protects. I am your shield. And he provides Your reward will be very great. I know you've turned down this other spoils of war, but wait on me. Your reward is going to be good. God protects and provides for his people as they wait for a supernatural blessing. And he promises Abram the son. He says, no, Eliezer, your servant is not going to be your heir. He may be your heir now, but he's not going to to be your heir because I will provide a son. Go out and look look at the sky. When's the last time you went out and you looked at the sky on a clear night in a dark area? You looked up at the stars. This is what Abram did. This is what the Lord said to Abram. Come outside. Look up. See the stars. Count them. If indeed you can count them. As if you could count them. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as those stars. I already told him that his descendants would be like the dust of the earth. Numerous like the dust of the earth. Chapter 13. No, God's plans may not always happen in the way that we would like, or in the way that we anticipate, or in the timing that we would like. His timing is perfect, and His plans will be carried out. And we can take comfort in God's protection, His provision, and His blessing. Take comfort in God's protection, His provision, and in His blessing. Take comfort in the Lord as you wait on the Lord. There's a New AT&T U-verse advertisement that was recently released. Anybody have AT&T U-verse? A few of you, a few more I know that don't want to raise your hand, and that's certainly okay. I'm a fan of U-verse. I had U-verse at one time. We had it until our last move, and now we're in an area that doesn't currently have it for television. Uh, but I like U-verse. But their recent uh, ad and, and the, the tagline that's associated with that ad really slaps a Christian worldview in the face. Because it says something like this, with AT&T U-verse, the U-verse revolves around you. With AT&T U-verse, the U-verse, your U-verse, your universe revolves around you. Now that sounds really good. We like that. Because we all want that. Something in us that wants life to be about us, my life to be about me. It's almost as if here in Genesis chapter 15, God is is reassuring Abram that even though these plans have not yet been fulfilled as Abram had anticipated and hoped and was waiting on, Abram is saying, wait a minute, my plans, my purposes are much bigger than just your life, Abram. I've got great plans for you. Your life is going to be good. I'm going to use you in my plans to play a very important role, Abram, but 
But my plans are much bigger than just you. Because my plans, God, it's as if God is saying, span generation after generation after generation. And you can rest assured, if I have said that you will have a son, you will have a son. My plans, my purposes will come about. And no, no Abram questioned God here. It's important for us to note as people of faith that, that he still believed the Lord. He still expressed and exercised and acted on his faith in God. So that's why in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, we read that Abram believed the Lord and it was credited or counted to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now this is the key verse, I think, in this whole chapter that expresses a key truth of this chapter. So don't miss this. God credits believers with righteousness. God credits believers with righteousness. Those that have faith in God, exercising belief and trust in God and the promises of God, showing that they believe that the God of Scripture is trustworthy, that He is true to His promises. He is steadfast. What He says will come about. God credits those individuals with righteousness. What do we mean by righteousness? Right standing before God. He regards them. He treats them as if they have upheld his law, his standard, perfectly. As if they have never broken it. And don't miss this. When scripture says here in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 that Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram had not lived up to God's standard. Abram had not followed God's standard Perfectly, Because God's standard as the eternal, almighty, perfect, holy God is perfection. And anything short of perfection is short of God's standard. And the author of Genesis has already gone out of his way to show us in Genesis chapter 12 that Abram wasn't perfect. Abram made mistakes. In fact, he doubted God. He revealed his lack of total trust in God when he went down to Egypt and he lied about the identity of his wife because he feared for his own life rather than trusting in God's plans. So even before Jesus, even before Jesus, there were individuals like Abram who were declared righteous in the eyes of God, righteous in the mind of God, who didn't yet know exactly how God's plan was going to unfold, yet they believed God at His Word, and they waited on the fulfillment of His promises. Ultimately, they would be saved the same way that you are saved, the same way that I've been saved, the same way that those who were baptized this morning have been saved, and that's because Jesus paid for their sin. I was saying earlier that every sin on Christ was laid. Anticipated it, looked forward to that day. It's as if they were living on credit with God, so to speak. I invite you to turn with me far to, to the right in your Bibles to New Testament letter of Romans. Take a big chunk of your Bible and go to the right. Page 1056 in my Bible. I don't know if that helps you, but it's a long way in the other direction. But Romans chapter 4, Paul picks up on this theme of righteousness and righteousness through faith and connects it directly to Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, he writes, If in fact, if in fact Abraham was justified or declared righteous, declared innocent by works, by what he did, he had something to boast about, but not 
before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. In other words, Paul is making a distinction here. He's saying that that Abram, even Abram, long, long ago, was not considered righteous before God because of the things he had done. It wasn't because of his works. It wasn't because he had obeyed God perfectly. None of us have done that. There's only been one who's done that. That's Jesus. And it was because of his faith in God and the promises of God. Skip down, same chapter, Romans chapter 4, picking up in verse 18. We read, against all hope, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Direct quote from Genesis chapter 15. Your offspring are going to be like the stars in the sky. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith And gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why, verse 22, it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 23, the words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our Justification. In other words, Abraham was declared righteous before God, considered innocent in the eyes of God, viewed as being morally perfect before the judgment seat of God because he had faith in God and in the promises of God that would come about, even though he didn't know the full story. You and I, however, as believers today, we know the rest of the story. We have the completed record of the story. We know that eventually Abraham did, just like God had promised, have a son who had a son, who had a child, who had a child, who had a child, who on down the, the line had a child, many generations later, who was described as the son of God, Messiah, the promised one, the Savior who gave his life after living the only perfect life on earth as the only suitable sacrifice, taking the penalty for your sin and your sin and your sin and and my sin so that we might be right with our maker. And so that through him, through Jesus, through this descendant on down, on down the line, through Abraham, this descendant of Abraham, Jesus, ultimately all peoples, all nations, all languages, people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue, would be blessed through him. So because God credits believers with righteousness, let's receive righteousness by believing God raised Jesus from the dead. Receive righteousness by believing that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's what the scriptures tell us here. Romans chapter 4. This was not written just for Abraham. This is written for you. So having now seen the rest of the story, you ought to believe that same one who appeared to Abraham, that same one that assured Abram who ultimately sent his son and now we're responsible for receiving the gracious gift of salvation through faith in Jesus. We don't receive righteousness as if it's some sort of elite spiritual gift that, you know, that 
then allows us to go around and start living righteously all the time, whatever that looks like. Nor do we receive righteousness as something like a pin that we can put on our vest and say, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm righteous. I've received righteousness. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. No. Righteousness and receiving righteousness is receiving right standing in the eyes of God. So that God looks on you and He says, hey, that's a child of mine. That's that's a member of my kingdom. That's a member of my household. He's one of mine. He can come in. She can come in. In this way, this is... This is not like your, your Sam's card that you use when you go into Sam's and you show a nice, a nice little lady, hey, I'm a member, I can come in, I paid my dues, I'm clear. It's different in the sense that when it comes to Christ and His kingdom, you don't pay your dues. I don't pay my dues. Christ paid my dues. Christ paid our dues. And so when we're asked, how do you know that You're right with God. How do you know that you're forgiven with God? You can say, Jesus paid it all. He paid the price. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. Romans chapter 10, just a few chapters to the right. Romans chapter 4, as I know you knew. Well-known passage of Scripture that speaks to this very idea of salvation, receiving salvation and forgiveness through Christ. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him, in Jesus, will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Receive righteousness. Receive salvation. Receive true life, eternal life. By believing that God raised Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, from the dead. Back to Genesis chapter 15. In the opening verses of this chapter, God assures Abram, who became Abraham, that that he would indeed have a son who would be his heir. He assured him with his word. And then the rest of the chapter, the concluding portion of the chapter, he assures him that just as he's promised his descendants a land, he will deliver on that promise as well. Let's look at the rest of the story as we quickly uh, read Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 7. God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Strange picture here, huh? Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, 
your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and all the ites. Lord makes a covenant here in Genesis chapter 15 with, with Abraham. This is sort of a strange picture, strange action. This sounds odd to us. These animals are cut in two and then this blazing torch and this fire pot goes down between them, passes between them and God makes this promise to Abraham. This is probably depicting an, an ancient custom that involved an oath and if that oath was not fulfilled, carried out, or described a self-curse, a curse on the one making the oath. So in this way, God is saying, who here is represented in this, this picture by the, the fire pot, the smoking fire pot with a blazing tor- torch, or verse 17, God is saying that, that if I don't give your descendants this land, remember this is in response to Abram's question, how will I know that my descendants will inherit this land? Essentially, through this this covenant, through this action, he's saying, if your descendants don't get this land, I will become like those dead animals. This way, God is is swearing against himself. Saying, if this doesn't come about, if this doesn't happen, then then I will die. And newsflash for Abraham, newsflash for all of us who read this story, The Lord God Almighty, the eternal one who holds the world in his hands, cannot die. He is forever. He goes on and on and on and on. And everything else owes its existence to him. And so he is saying, as surely as I live, Abraham, this will come about. The fulfillment of my words, the fulfillment of my promises is as real as my own life. It is as sure as my own existence. However, he says, for a little while in between, for some 400 years, your descendants will will be in slavery under a foreign king. And Abraham, you're going to die, but you're going to die in peace. These things will come about, but it's going to be some time. The truth that we can take from this is that though suffering and death will come first, God guarantees the fulfillment of his promises. The suffering and death will come first. God guarantees the fulfillment of his promises. He tells Abram, your descendants for 400 plus years are going to be slaves under Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. You're going to face hardship. They're going to face hardship. Yet I will accomplish what I have promised. Before we conclude this message and this story, I want us to notice something. Something that happens twice in this chapter. This chapter that depicts this sort of dialogue between Abraham and his God. The God of Scripture, the same God that we gather in the name of today. Twice, Abram questions God. Twice, Abram says, how how will I know? Lord, you've not provided a son for me. How will I know that my descendants will inherit this land? We learn from Scripture, not only here but elsewhere as well, that it is okay for us to express our doubts to God. 
Express your doubts to God. Express your questions to God. God is a God who shows over and over again in Scripture, particularly in the Psalms, highlights individuals like David who continually said, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Or why are my enemies experiencing success while here my life is in trouble? How does this fit into your plan, Lord? God is a God who invites us to express our questions and our doubts to Him because He is a God who wants to reassure us that His plans and His promises will come to pass. So express your doubts to God. And secondly, rest in the certainty of God's plan. Rest in the certainty of God's plan. Though suffering and death came first, we know Abram did have a son. We know that His descendants did inherit a promised land. And though suffering and death came first, we know that a Messiah came, a Savior came, who gave His life, who died for us. Yet just as God had predicted, He paid for the sins of the world. No, we live in a a day, a time, as long as we're on this earth, of suffering and death, waiting on the next step in the fulfillment of God's plan, the King will return. He will come again. Rest in the certainty of God's plan. Church, Genesis chapter 15 teaches us that by His covenant, God promises His people that His plans of blessing will be fulfilled. By His covenant, God promises His people that His plans of blessing will be fulfilled. We wait on the fulfillment of those plans. We know what they look like because they're here in the Word of God. We know that Christ has paid the price, but we still anticipate and wait on the day that the King returns, ushering in eternity in God's redemptive plan. But in the meantime, we remain in a world that's filled with suffering, hardship, challenges, job loss, disease, injustice. Yet we know that God is faithful. We know that His Word is true. We know that His plans and purposes will be carried out just as He has said. So can God be trusted? Absolutely. He can be trusted. So let's, as people of faith, people who who know Him and No reconciliation with Him through Jesus. Let's trust Him and let's express our trust in Him now. Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for this day. We thank You for this opportunity once again to to gather with Your people in Your presence, Lord, to honor You, to exalt You, to worship You. Lord, to look at Your Word and to hear from You. Lord, I do pray that, that through Your Word and through the teaching of Your Word, through the preaching of Your Word, that that you would lead us, that you'd instruct us, that you'd convict us by your Spirit, Lord, ultimately that you'd draw us to to our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might live lives of total trust in you. Lord, we acknowledge that you're a great and mighty God. Thank you for saving us by your grace. Thank you for giving us a record of your written word that, that is true. Lord, lead us now as we seek to to respond to you, to worship you through song. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.